Welcome to the Aesthetic City podcast. In this show, we aim to discover how we can go forward and create a better, more beautiful and livable built environment. I'm Ruben Hansen, your host and founder of The Aesthetic City, a content platform with a mission to inspire people to make our cities, towns and landscapes a little bit more livable and beautiful. Today I have a conversation with a talented young guest from England. She is an urban planner with a diverse range of experience, from working for the Swin and Borough Council to working for Create Streets, the Bath Preservation Trust and even working on eco-housing. She now works for Maristam Design, turning her cities into green oases. She is doing a Master in Sustainable Urbanism at the Bartlett School of Planning at the UCL in London. She represents a new wave of urban planners that are entering the workforce to make our cities better places to live. So please welcome Sarah Bannister. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Hi. Hi, Ruben. <laughs> Thanks for so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So uh, where are you calling in from? Um, I'm calling in from uh, sunny Bath, um, southwest um, England. Yeah, it's uh, nice. pretty hot at the moment, but uh, it's good to be in uh, Bath. Yeah, because it's an uh, extremely hot day here in two. Uh, studio's heating up. Of course, I can't have a fan for all the, the background noise. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to survive. So, yeah, Bath <laughs> is actually, I, it's a beautiful town. I visited last November. Well, most people who know it will know it is a beautiful town. But um, so, yeah, that's maybe an interesting one. So you are an urban planner. Can you tell a bit about how and why you got interested in the built environment? Yeah, so at school, um, my favorite subject was geography. And when it came to choosing a subject to study at university, I came across a sort of joint honors in geography and urban and regional planning. Um, I was more interested in human rather than physical geography. So I thought it would be a perfect fit for me. And at the yeah. time when I was choosing my um, subject study at university I had no idea what urban planning was I I, I did not yeah. know about it so it was something that I thought it would be quite good to explore um, um, I really enjoyed the course and over the years my love for the built environment has grown and I was at the University of Birmingham and then transferred to UE in Bristol um, where I completed um, a degree in urban planning mm -hmm. so as you lived in Bath, did that actually influence your choice for a study as well? Like seeing this beautiful environment or was it other societal influences that made you interested in cities or just a general interest in cities? Yeah, so I've always loved people and I think, I think growing up in Bath and seeing like the different buildings and all the people sort of coming to visit this great city you know for its architecture its heritage um it, it I think it did sort of subtly influence and shape my sort of choice of you know university course um and yeah I you know I've lived here for over 20 years I'm you know I'm very lucky to have lived in such a beautiful city in the UK and I think during my late teens, um, early 20s, I sort of decided to explore Bath and take photos yeah. of the Georgian architecture. I'm not an architect, but I, I, I have an appreciation for sort of architecture, especially Georgian architecture, which is very well built. I think it lasts a long time and is, you know, beautiful. And I think architecture should do all these things. And I think, you know, the 
the Georgians really yeah. did it well. And I think they're a sort of very uh, a great example for development that should be built now. Can you tell a bit more about the rest of your career? Yeah, so um, I think I'm, I've done, so after um, getting my uh, degree in urban planning um, and during you know, the process of getting that degree, I did a lot of work experience for a variety of public, private and third sector organisations. Um, so I did a placement with Birmingham City Council in the Northwest Planning Department. Mm -hmm. I also worked for um, MADE, which was, um, I think it was, it was called MADE, but it's now a different name. It's of Design Review West Midlands. Um, I also uh, did a placement year when I was at UE Bristol for Swindon Borough Council. And that was great because I got to work in the policy department and also worked for the um, their housing sort of company, uh, Forward Swindon, and looked at they were looking, doing an urban extension. Um, I've also done work experience for Bath Preservation Trust, which is very interesting. Wow, yeah. Um, I did work for, did some work experience for Crate Streets in London, which I'm sure you know about. Um, yeah. Also worked for um, land use consulting, um, consultants who are environmental, um, an environmental consultancy. And, and also after I, graduated uh last year i worked for an eco housing company yeah. uh mm. I, along the side this i've also done volunteering for uh bath city farm and and a bit for sustrans as well and yeah. i'm currently currently yeah. uh doing a part-time msc in sustain sustainable urbanism at uh university college london yeah nice so at the at the bartlett school of planning yeah. right yeah. So how do you like it? Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I think it's the Bartlett is it's it's one of the uh, top universities for it, for the built environment. And it's been great to learn from academics who are leaders in yeah. their in their topic. And, they're re and it's very up to date and recent. And and it's I, I'm finding it really fascinating. Um, yeah, so it's good. Yeah. Do you agree with everything they teach? Like, is, is there some things where you think like, I'm not sure if that is the way forward or do you think it's really, um, yeah, does it really fit well with your, what, with your things, uh, with your thoughts? Yeah. So it was interesting. It was interesting. Cause I had one, there was one lecturer who was quite, I don't know what word is, but sort of very dismissive or and he was very the anti sort of classical architecture and was more for the sort of modern brutalist architecture. And I was very sort of like I didn't really want to say anything because I but I'm very I'm very pro classical architecture, well built buildings that last a long time are beautiful. And I think I just some some yeah. of their some of their ideas some of their ways of thinking I'm not always in agreement with but some of the, you know the topics that I've been learning about there's one topic in um it was about ecosystem services and I'd never come yeah. across that before and it's basically the services that sort of nature and sort of green infrastructure provide to humans and that was really fascinating yeah. and, I, and I think but overall I think it, it, no it's been it's been really good and got the last yeah. year in September and then I'll be done yeah, nice. What are your plans? Will you try to uh, well continue your education in some form, or to fully focus on your career? 
I think I am going to focus on my career. I, uh, I think I will see what opportunities come up. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm just gonna see see how it goes. Really, uh, I haven't got anything set in stone yet. So yeah, yeah, because currently you work at Marston Design, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. What do you do at Maristem, and like, what is uh, what what is Maristem's aim? So Maristem Design um, is an urban greening and design consultancy. Uh, so we are passionate about turning the grey mm-hmm. green, and our aim is to make cities healthier, happier, and greener places to live, work, and visit. Um, we do this through uh, our parklets planters community rain gardens with sustainable drainage systems living walls and green roofs um and i am currently working as uh, a marketing and administrative assistant so i work on content for the website such as blog posts and news articles and i help out with events okay and things like that nice so what is the full range of advantages that you can bring by while using these sparklets and other forms of urban greenery? So, um, so you've said a few of them already, but I think there are, there are many, they have many benefits, um, particularly, so bringing in um, sort of increasing biodiversity levels, um, which, you know, I think humans, you know, especially since a lot of us live in urban areas, some some of us are quite detached from nature and green spaces. And I think bringing nature and sort yeah. of, I don't know, pollinators and wildlife into our cities, it, it, it reconnects us with that, that sort of um, natural um, sort of spaces that you know we've evolved from (laughs) nature and we've come from sort of um those sort of those environments and i think they also bring communities together so park community parklets community rain gardens they as well as you know adding greenery to the street and making it look nicer and more beautiful they really if 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 you engage well with the community, it can really give them a sort of sense of of ownership and a bit of sort of, you know, people might meet their neighbors who they'd never spoken to over helping plant up a a community rain garden. And, and they may take more pride in that, in their street or the area if they've got, you know, nice, um, planting or um, parklets and yeah and I think especially with urban greening there is you know there are benefits in terms of um, climate change you know mitigation mitigation is so like reducing the impact of climate change yeah. Yeah. such as sort of rate as flooding um, mm-hmm. and the urban heat island effect is a very big issue and greenery cools our urban areas and, and they say it's a few degrees warmer yeah. in cities compared to the countryside. So the more nature and greenery we bring into a city and integrate it and implement it properly, um, the better really. Yeah. What is what is now the hardest challenge for 
implementing more of these parks because I can imagine like everybody wants more green, but yet we see so many places where it is not happening. And like, is it budget? Is it um, is it just uh, the lack of bigger consciousness about this? Or yeah, what is the limiting factor for not like everybody greening their cities like Madman? Because I think it's it would indeed uh, be way better for cities to yeah to green significantly. Yeah, I think it. Well, a lot of it, I think, um, I think it sort of comes down to sort of we we need to have it, I guess, in the policy. So I guess the Bible for us in the UK for planning is the national planning policy framework. And I think we need to focus more and have more um, policy that that helps create those urban greening opportunities and yes and and a lot of it is down to maintenance you know a lot of people it's all very well doing a park or an urban greening intervention but if it's not going to be maintained you know that it, it it's not it then doesn't become effective you know and it stops being yeah. you know yeah. useful and um but i think i definitely think communities could have more of a say and take a bit on more ownership and sort of with those sort of projects and i think especially for example with a a community farm or on a on a piece of land such as a meanwhile space so i'm very interested in meanwhile spaces and how before a development is built out or a big big block of flats or housing scheme Mm -hmm how we can use that space in the interim to you know depending on its how safe it is maybe grow vegetables you could do this you could you could create beds and incorporate those urban greening um techniques and then often I've, i've i've saw saw a few examples where some developments when they did start building the housing they they saw that the meanwhile urban greening was so beneficial to the community that they actually incorporated some of those things into their new development so there is there is there is um it is very beneficial to i think doing it and actually doing it well and then creating a plan around how it can be maintained and including and incorporating the the local community i think is very um can be very powerful yeah um because yeah as you said maintenance is often a problem but i guess could it be solved by making it more self-regulating and letting it over to the people to take responsibility for them and in what cases would that work and in what cases wouldn't it work i think that's a great idea i think that is i think that could really work because you know if i think i mean a lot of people especially over you know the various lockdowns we had some people didn't have access to green space and they didn't have a garden there was nowhere in may have 
been a, a long journey to get to a park. And I think by if yeah. there's some form of if there's some spaces in our towns and cities that could be almost like um you know you um you sort of sponsor a or no not sponsor and um, what's the word where you sort yeah. of I think it's either you sponsor a or you what's the word where you um you look after an animal in a different country and it's yeah like a foster you, a foster uh, that's the word <laughs> I'm trying to say that thing but um you or something where you, you take it over and you create your own little haven of wildlife and biodiversity and you and and you and you and that's your little project and I think that could be quite good and I know that you know when I walk around London and these places yep. where they have muse and they have all these pots of plants outside their doors and even just something simple as that on a street is very it improves the sort of the it improves the street it makes it look beautiful and it and the people who have done it are doing their bit to encourage um so pollinators to help reduce pollution a little bit and just to really improve the whole environment of the place so i think there i think definitely if people had more saying more control over those green spaces um that could be really effective yeah yeah but i can also imagine that in some communities uh gardening is not something normal or something uh yeah that people like to do or think of or is their priority so what would be a solution for those areas I definitely think that um, you know there's a quite a lot of community groups out there, sort of city farms or allotment groups, yeah. where they could educate people and there could be a um, yeah. sort of courses people could take or potentially a bit of volunteering and potentially there could be a sort of system-led I don't know, it's not like a system service, but something where people all, you know, they pledge to do something that would help with help it with urban greening. Yeah. And they and it, yeah. and it could be like that or something that could really um, help. Like a, a platform where, uh, yeah, some, some people take responsibility together of some parts of the gardens uh, so other people don't have to do it themselves, perhaps. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, because I see it a lot here in the Netherlands. We have neighborhoods where where you have these little micro gardens. It's often like only 10 to 20 centimeters or like yeah, less than a foot of uh yeah, of a little planter in front of the doors. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's enough to grow some ivy or to grow like a little um yeah, uh sometimes a whole tree grows there and it has to be uprooted because it will <laughs> uh damage the building. Uh, or it's just some flowers. Um, and you also have neighborhoods where you have nothing. It's just stone touching the stone. And the difference between the two uh, neighborhoods, just with that little, with or without that little strip mm. of green, is incredible. The stony neighborhoods often feel unsafer, more desolate, more, yeah, just depressing. And so I, I think often, well, 
I always think back of Rotterdam, where there's some neighborhoods uh, where you had a lot of social housing, and these, yeah, there you had like the very stony streets. And then I think in comparison of the place in, well, other parts of the city or in other cities where they actually had this policy of accepting or allowing people to take some stones out and to grow something. And that made a huge difference. So I think those little interventions can have a huge influence on urban design as well and on the whole feeling of an area. But returning to that idea of what can make a place a bit better. So what is your vision on what makes for a good place? like a good neighborhood or a good street? So I think a good place is a place that is designed for people, so it's people-friendly. A good street or place should encourage social interactions, a place for people to sit and watch the world go by, uh, plenty of greenery in the form of either street trees, planters, or maybe a parklet or a little... um, uh, pocket park um i think something that should also be included is sort of varieties in color but in a sort of sensitive way um a color can or color and also different uh details and textures um yeah. that sort of really engage all of your senses um i think a lot of the time we you know I mean, I certainly can tell if I'm walking down a street that, you know, if I if I actually start looking around and sort of stopping and maybe sort of looking up and it's a street that actually engages me and makes me want to sort of stay there almost. And I think I think um, a bad street is one where, um, you know, you don't want to stay and linger. You know, it's a street that maybe it prioritizes cars and there's no active frontages. There's no greenery. It's just, you know, a lot of it is predominantly grey concrete. And I think we really need to get back to designing our streets for people. Because at the end of the day, you know, People are living in buildings. People are visiting and going to shops. Um, People are the main species living in our towns and cities. And so if we don't design for people, you know, what are we designing for? We, you know, and I think um, we really need to return to this sort of, people-led design and planning process yeah 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 so another question relating to this is can a place really become authentic when it is planned you think that is a good question um think if you know if people have been properly engaged and consulted and they're part of the process and the people have helped shape what that place will look like mm-hmm. I think it can 
it can become you know and they, and they add their own touches they add their own sort of um they add their own features that gives it personality and it gives it a sort of sense of community i think it you know i think it is possible i think it's just um we need to really improve how we engage with communities and yeah. and not build something thinking oh they'll like it but actually go and ask them and go and ask what they would like and i think it it could happen you know i think i think i think but sometimes i can see that overly planned you know sometimes there's a big yeah. sort of um it, it may seem on paper like oh this looks great but actually when it's actually delivered in real life it's yeah. far from that so um yeah, yeah it's, it's a tricky one yeah because it, it tends to sometimes strip away the, the influence people themselves have and reflect what people themselves want for a place instead of just yeah the but this also linking into what um yeah christopher alexander talks about in his book with his quality without a name and that the life in a building or an environment can never emerge when it is not yeah left over for the people to design but yeah that's maybe another uh, that could be a whole other episode so what do you think is the greatest current problem with english developments at this moment Okay, so I think there are a multitude of problems with English developments, especially if we are talking about new builds uh, by the large house builders. Um, so firstly, uh, you know, a lot of them are car centric and not connected to effectively to existing transport links. Um, yeah. Secondly, the buildings in some of them are okay, but a lot of them are sort of cookie cutter style, yeah. are lacking sort of nice details or variety. They all look sort of the same. Um, and thirdly, I think the green space provision in housing development is often very basic and just added as a sort of tick box exercise at the end. It's not integrated properly as part of a wider green network. Yeah. Um, and I think I I really do think that um, that also people need to be more involved with what housing and development gets built yeah. in their local area. Yeah. With with polling, for example, or or uh, other surveys, or yeah, I think I definitely think people polling so like voting effectively like almost yeah do you think voting? yeah it could work and i think in a way we need to get more people engaged with the process and interested in the the built environment and the environment that we live in we are predominantly an urban species and more and more people are moving to cities and towns so it makes sense for for, for people to be concerned and interested yeah. about where they live because we spend all our time here, right? And then we want to go abroad to different locations. But why can't we make our existing places yeah. nice 
as well. Exactly. Yeah. So so that's a very interesting question. I think. Yeah. So we obviously see what we like in other countries and where we go to, but then if we look at our own place that we design right now, they are not even. They don't even get close to <laughs> the qualities that yeah that we visit. And I always wonder like what holds us from making uh, the places where we live like the by making our new developments. Uh, look so beautiful that they would be useful as a wedding location and not only now but like in 100 years as well but yeah so current english developments are well i should describe a bit cookie cutter have you been to poundbury i've not visited myself um i know someone else who has um my close uh relative has been there and um i mean what i mean what do yeah. you think of it, Ruben? <laughs> what do you think of it? Yeah, yeah, I I visited, and I think it's for its imperfections here and there. I think it's very successful. I would say. I mean, it is of course a small town, Dorchester, and Poundbury is an extension of a small town, so it will not be as lively as London. And of course, when I visited, it was February, so it was kind of well. <laughs> cold and not the best weather but i mean it was still fairly fairly good so it wasn't well teeming with people in the streets but just walking around i really got this feeling like hey i'm in a nice beautiful old english town <laughs> and yeah. i mean yeah. that's yeah you know it was not like hey this is so special well maybe the the central square with like the the royal pavilion that is quite something but the rest was just yeah, this is a nice, charming little English town. It it is not trying to be something crazy. It's just trying to be charming and it's trying to be ordinary. And I think that's a very confronting thing for many architects because they see that architecture should be confronting. It should be always on the verge of uh yeah, <laughs> of something and be <laughs> exciting and shocking and uh, but most people don't want it. Most people just want some mm. beauty and mm. some... They want a nice garden with some flowers and their streets to be to be nice and comfy and charming. And uh, yeah, and I think they did a wonderful job. And also the architecture is, yeah, uh, it's quite classical. I think for a Dutchman, for most Dutch, it would be way too classical. But for the British, I think <laughs> it's completely... Well, completely okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, have the feeling, I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really funny how I think that the British really like classical architecture. Uh, and you you should not come with a design with all these columns here in the Netherlands because you would be just laughed away, which I find a, a shame actually because I, I kind of like it as well. But um, yeah, <laughs> just some, uh, some ideas. <laughs> but yeah, so comparing... Poundbury to regular English developments is, I think, an interesting exercise. What, but uh, yeah, maybe if you visit in the future, we could have a <laughs> have a conversation about that. Um, Definitely, but, yes. Yeah, but do you think it's the right direction for newly built areas? I think you know, obviously, we need more housing, and I think we've got to do it on a location basis you know what you know we've really got to look at what is the existing sort of development like and what 
what features or what what are the what, what makes this sort of area of the country special you know there must be some sort of things that are interesting and why other people in the area like living there and draw on those features and maybe incorporate them into the design um I mean Pambury I mean I've only seen it on photos on Twitter or yeah. but on the news but I think it it's a lot better than some of these other large um, urban extensions that just don't have any life or character or they're just, they're just, I call them ugly. Then, you know, I look at them when I go on the train to London, I see them from the, the train line and they're just, they're just really, just, they, I don't know why, what, I don't see how, yeah. they actually get permission to be honest I really yeah. don't like they're they're awful but then I but then it's it's hard because you know you know if someone was trying to find a house they may not see they, they may just take the you know they may not really think about the architecture yeah. or the different do you know what I mean like they yeah. they might just sort of say well it's a house I need to live in a house yeah so I'll choose that house. So it's kind of it. It. Yeah. I think it's 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 very tricky, and I and um. But we've we've got to. You know, I think we could take um inspiration from Poundbury and um and really um aim higher, perhaps. Aim higher, yeah, and just really um work on you know what do people like you know um what do people what sort of houses do people like to go for i mean personally i like going for older houses and more classical but classically built houses and that have character and are streets and not tower yeah. blocks so i think but the thing the tricky thing is obviously is that we're all different aren't we we've all got our own opinions on what makes a a beautiful or a place i mean there are th some things where we hopefully we can all agree on that you know that is you know an ugly place but then some people find you know brutalist architecture beautiful so it, it's very tricky to um i don't think there's you know i don't think everyone will be um satisfied i don't know yeah. it's, it's a very tricky question but um yeah yeah, yeah. hopefully <laughs> there is uh, some hope <laughs> yeah well i think there certainly is hope because well there is now the well there is a building beautiful building better commission in the UK which is mm. a step and let's see how it will work out I'm hopeful I uh, from what I've seen is it's at least some activity and that's lacking in a lot of other countries actually so mm. yeah mm. what would your view be like what could a professional do to bring this change about um so that's a really quite really tricky question i think we definitely i mean a lot of the rules and regs around what we can plan and build you know it comes from the you know in the uk it comes from the national planning policy framework yeah. and i think we as professionals i think we need to push harder to to make changes that will hopefully deliver better places and i think whether that mm -hmm. If there is an example of a development, I mean, I'm sure there are in the UK, where that 
you know that's been successful it's it's, it's a good blueprint for other places I think we really need to show people that it can be done you yeah. know and I think yeah. And it's, and it's interesting because obviously at the moment we're in a, the middle of a climate crisis and no doubt that's uh, influencing why it's so hot at the moment. But we need to, you know, for example, like building houses that are helping fight climate change. It can be done, but it's just the house builders. A lot of them, they they lobby the government saying that, you know, that they don't want to do that because of either it's too expensive or it's putting up barriers you know and I think it can be done it's just the actually it's the willpower the want to change the want to do it and the progressive you know actually being a bit progressive and actually sort of saying well we cannot go on as normal and I think if, if if professionals came together and I don't know how we could do it, either a petition or something that could really get in the news or something that yeah. we have to change the way we build and deliver places. You know, obviously, like we've been through yeah. the pandemic and that yeah. that whole pa- the whole pandemic showed that we were told to sort of, you know, stay indoors, go for a daily walk, wear a mask, all these things that was that was implemented by the government from a top, you know, top down approach. You know, that was that was done overnight, wasn't it? Why can't we make it even more a requirement to build these places in a sort of similar way that it gives it yeah. urgency, gives it immediacy? So, yeah. yeah. I think when everything is on the line, perhaps in the COVID crisis, it was, of course, uh, well, public health, but also. Mm. <laughs> The political power and the the um, yeah if they didn't do something people would get mad um so they felt mm. forced to do something <laughs> otherwise yeah. yeah it was it was more or less demanded so but yeah because and i think we see it also perhaps in other fields or areas uh, in culture that as a society we demand certain things of our government and of our companies as well and i mm. think we see this a lot in current practices in companies involving human rights and and those kinds of topics so i think once people mm. also stand up yeah uh, that will change but yeah as a, as a professional i think it also takes some courage to mm. uh, stick out your head <laughs> firstly yeah. and also to have a different opinion but yeah that's that's just my my idea about it but i think i did agree with what what you said and so maybe a different question. We met via Twitter, where your tweets get a lot of attention, and uh, <laughs> for right reasons, I think, uh, because you have a very nice particular own voice on Twitter, which is, I think, good for the whole space and positive. So what is your vision on the impact of social media and these new online connections on the urban or city planning discourse? So I think... Twitter and sort of social media is a great way of, of getting people involved and engaged in urban planning discussions, um, especially those who are not built environment professionals. And certainly when I joined Twitter back in, oh, what was it, uh, 2014, mm-hmm. I started out just, you know, I just thought it would be good to get an account. And I think having over the years, started following more people tweeting more about the built environment i think it's it can be quite powerful and especially those 
photos you see where it's the before and after shots of yeah. you know a massive highway has turned into a sort of public park and or a or maybe a, a really ugly building was knocked down and a lovely classical very sensitively building is built it, 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 and then you see how many people say oh I, I wish we had that in our you know in our area or our city or our town it, and quite it's lovely to see you know and I think I think social media is a great way of getting conversations going but yeah. I think the challenge is sort of translating it into positive changes or improvements on the ground and I think having you know it's all very well having having it but as I said it's about how can we sort of turn this into you know policy change or change that can really impact others and maybe get more projects like image on Twitter in real life Um, but I think it's a great way of networking meeting other like-minded individuals and um and and getting people who maybe and as i said who are not involved with urban planning at all maybe they study something completely different or maybe they work in a completely different field get them interested in the environment you know get get them interested in the built environment and um and how they can make a difference and i think actually you know, some people, you know, who have liked my tweets, you know, I see their profile and they don't look like they like urban planning or the environment, but then they may it suddenly build up a, an interest in it. Um, yeah. So I think I think it's, it's a very effective. Um, but it's just, yeah, as I said, it's sort of how can we keep this momentum going and um, make changes on the ground? Yeah, 100 percent. It's um, I often get questions of people. How can I? support this this change and i it's often a a hard question and i always Mm. think like yeah you can of course well follow certain accounts but at some point they want to do more so Mm. what what would your idea be on this um so i think definitely joining if there is something where they are like a community group so for example where i live in bath they have they have a community group where they um, come together and talk about the street and maybe topics such as sort of litter picking, the street trees, the planting, how can we improve the public realm? And we have they have sort of discussions on the speed limit, uh, the, the walking and cycling infrastructure. And then there's also the other idea of, you know, if 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 they live in a small village or a town, whether there's any neighborhood um, planning forums or neighborhood planning groups that they could join. And that, and then obviously neighborhood plans are a big thing in the UK and whether they can contribute to that. But also I think almost writing to your MP, meeting your MP, um, because, you know, it's very much political. And I think having, but then if you see an example of something that you want to have in your area, talk to your MP, um, talk about it on social media, join some forums or groups, um, get the conversation going. That can be really effective. Yeah. And, you know, write into your local newspaper or something, just even just telling people about something or a project or something that you want. If you don't ask a question or yeah. you don't you don't get really. So I think it's worth doing those sort of things. Yeah. 
I think that's a very nice list. And uh, I think it's also writing to your MP is a very powerful one because I don't think, think they get a lot of letters of people saying, hey, <laughs> I think we should build a bit more beautifully and uh, <laughs> wiser and more green in our cities every day. You know, they won't get such responses often. So mm. anything to bring it a bit more on top of their minds. And if a lot of people start doing it, then something happens politically as well. So can you tell a bit about your dissertation? Um, that was on city farms, the importance of these yeah. places for communities. Um, so I was a volunteer at Bath City Farm for several years and was inspired to do my dissertation for my degree on community farms. Um, so community farms are important places. They bring people together and create a sense of community as well as building social capital. So for people yeah. living in cities, wow. city farms... Um, give city dwellers an opportunity to learn about food growing, agriculture, farming, and it's important as it brings us closer to nature. Um, yeah. So I found, and so yeah. many community farms also run groups for those who are struggling with mental health difficulties. And I think looking after animals and working with plants outside is very therapeutic. Um, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I looked at, Bath City Farm and I interviewed a lot of volunteers there and um, I also looked at other places so there's a place um, down in Poole I think it's um, there was a new housing development there and it they incorporated mm -hmm. part of the master plan a, um, a, a sort of community farm and it was great to see a, a farm being part of the housing <laughs> development um, which is not something you see often and um yeah, they, um, it was incorporated mm -hmm. and um, so the community and the people who live in the houses can go and use it. It's obviously, it's, it's, it's land at the end of the day, isn't it? So it could be built on, yeah. but you look at the benefits of having the land as a community owned or led space that grows you know where you can grow food yeah. have animals educational benefits there's community benefits there's social benefits so there's so many more benefits to having that bit of land as a community farm such yeah. allotment um compared to it being maybe a just one house you know so there's it could it it, it it's yeah. benefits know reach so many more people and i'm not saying that you know obviously we need housing but it's interesting because at bath city farm they have a, there's a piece mm -hmm. of land that's owned by that um is adjacent to the farm and uh it's on the slope and there are it's owned by i think it's either owned by the council or a private um landowner and there's for years this housing um developer wants to build houses on it yeah. and it's so close to the city farm it just doesn't make sense and i wish that that bit of land could just be given over to the farm because it doesn't yeah. make sense for there to be a house <laughs> housing there you know yeah. and i know that we need houses but i think sometimes you know for people living in these houses they need and for the community surrounding it they need to have spaces where they can relax, they can meet other people, they can learn, they can grow vegetables and fruit. And I think we need to definitely include more of these yeah. 
spaces in our towns and cities. So that's what I was looking at. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, what did you find? So um, I found that, you know, from interviewing people at the city, I found mm -hmm. that it really did. I think I was, you know, I was talking about community benefits and sort of, and I found that people who went to you know, visit the farm and, and volunteered felt mm -hmm. part felt felt more felt like it felt like they belonged you know it's really warming yeah. reading these uh, you know the, the the questionnaire feedback forms with they felt like they belonged they felt less lonely they felt it gave them some purpose some meaning and they were learning things um and it gave them a sense of you know I don't know. It's, it was it was really lovely to read uh, to 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 look at the the results and um, you know and I volunteered there just for a bit and I really enjoyed it because yeah. it very much it, it connects you with nature and it and it takes you out of yourself and it helps you improves your mood and it it does lots of things. So yeah. I think I definitely think that if there's a way of incorporating these community gardens or mini city farms within new housing developments even or in these big urban extensions i think it they could they could be really um really um effective um, and really help and yeah. also bring the community together because yeah. a lot of these big housing developments you know i've walked around a few and you know they provide a little patch of green space and that's it and they don't provide yeah. anything else and you're just thinking you're, you're, sort of, you're hitting your head against your hands and you're thinking what what why what why have they got away with this but if they included you know some plant beds that uh, where people can you know adopt or adopt a plant bed for a yeah. few months and grow some veg or um there's some benches where people can hang out or there's a sort of a link with a college or where they can do courses or there's some form of education for kids and get them out of their, you know, get them out yeah. of their living room, watch TV and get getting them involved with planting. I think, it, I think it could just, it can really help yeah. people. And especially during, you know, the COVID um, lockdowns, you know, people, you know, there, I, there were some sort of yeah. studies saying, you know, really value green space and people don't have a lot of people don't have access to it especially in areas where there's quite deprived areas we need to be providing more green space and sort of different spaces f for people to um to visit yeah. and yeah. to get with. i can imagine it's really helpful for especially in times where we are inside more and more and of course after corona that people just need to get out just for their mental health Definitely. And um, so what are your hopes for the future of British cities? Um, so I hope that British cities can, can give more space to people. So pedestrians and cyclists. Um, so we can, you know, so people can be healthier and we can get around in a you know less <laughs> less environmentally damaging way um i hope british cities can be hopefully you know low car 
or completely yeah. car free in the future <laughs> that would be great um i think we need to definitely go on a diet a car diet yeah. <laughs> uh, i think there are too many cars in our cities and towns and a lot of them are just love cars are just sat on the driveway barely being used so there's that and i hope cities uh, in britain can be greener i hope we can make them healthier people and more livable and yeah. more you know beautiful because at the end of the day we are living in these cities you know we are very much an urban species and i think yeah. if we can improve our built environment so it it makes our daily lives more enjoyable it, it gets people you know proud of their cities or their towns i yep. think that is it's beneficial and i think i would say that i think you know we're very quite serious at the moment with like you know we're not i think i think in a way i think we need to add more elements of almost fun to our urban environments and even something that just takes us out of our sort of a to b mentality and engages with us in a fun way i think though you know having features like that could be quite beneficial and you know incorporating so play or just getting imaginative and creative with our built environment but yeah i think hopefully yeah in the next few years there'll be a massive change in how we see our cities and maybe make them even more you know interesting exciting beautiful accessible inclusive places to live yes yeah. you know that's this is where we beautiful. live and yeah. so yeah yeah so any other last tips or wise words so definitely i'd advise getting out and exploring your local town or city especially on foot or by cycling definitely recommend looking up more <laughs> from your phone <laughs> or like getting looking around you and just taking in the different styles of buildings yeah. the different details maybe get involved with your local community through um, a community forum or community project maybe do some volunteering if there's a city farm where you are yeah great try and like demand change you know i think things don't have to stay the way they are you know just because you know they have been for the last x number of years doesn't mean they have to be that way forever and i think we can make change happen i think our cities can be better and they should be better because that if a city is healthy it yeah. you know it's healthier for people right so if we can really strive towards that i think that would be great and i think definitely if we can really get a sort of conversation going around the importance of the built environment yeah for our health for our you know for our lives and how well built environment really makes a big difference so yeah, um absolutely yeah yeah brilliant so yeah thanks so much for being on the show i think it was brilliant to have a up and coming planner like yourself being on the show because i think that's yeah, it doesn't happen enough. I have the feeling that urban design, urbanism is not enough covered in other podcasts. So I'm really happy to uh, to offer a broad spectrum of people on this show and uh, especially the, the, the people that are, I think, underreported. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good time. Thanks so much. 
thank you so much yeah that's great to great to chat thank you thank you for listening to another episode of the aesthetic city podcast for more information about sarah's work visit sarahbannister.co.uk in the description i've also included the link to an article she wrote on medium the lost buildings of bath as well as her twitter account and the link to Marisdam design so check it all out in the description with the aesthetic city we hope to achieve lasting impact but we do need support so if you really like the mission of the aesthetic city consider supporting us as a patron the aesthetic city wants to grow and offer even more content and with enough patrons this continuation and further growth will be possible and it's not for nothing of course because patrons receive early releases exclusive content and access to the community Find the Patreon link in the description below. If you liked this episode, please consider giving it a favorable review on Apple or Spotify. Find more information about this platform on theaestheticcd.com or follow our Twitter page. I hope to see you back soon. Thanks for listening. Until next time.